0: Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast Here on the Fight Game Media Network This is your host, the OG Rob Silva And today, we will be recapping the Showtime card from this previous Saturday evening I will talk about my 32nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years As I've written on the fightgamemedia.com website um, currently i'm doing my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years on the website my number 13th fighter of the last 45 years Roberto Duran was released well what i'm doing is i'm in audiobook fashion for those who are listening for the first time are reading my top i'm reading my top 45 of the last 45 years and i'm up to number 32 which is today Azuma Nelson I'm up to number 32 in the podcast Up to number 13 Roberto Duran In written form Article wise on the FightGameMedia.com Website also I have A Patreon show On the Fight Game Media Patreon podcast feed For $5 a month You could read my Greatest upsets of the last I don't know, of all time, not just the last 45 years, but of all time, and including my weekly Boxing Upset podcast, you have great coverage, the best coverage of professional wrestling and MMA from any website, from experts like J.D. Oliva, Garrett Gonzalez, Justin Nipper, Fumi Saito and a host of other a host of others uh, John Larocca all right? and they do everything they cover AEW WWE MLW NWA UFC Bellator the whole the whole gamut they run the whole gamut of mixed martial arts combat sports professional wrestling etc so guys check it out if you're a non-boxing fan and could care less about my patreon show you are a wrestling fan if you're listening to this podcast and the other shows on the free podcast feed check out the patreon podcast feed and one last plug fight game media is also on youtube and not only do they post uh up-to-date information and breaking news on on professional wrestling As you guys know Vince McMahon's dick is running amok Throughout the world They are covering Vince McMahon's uh, s- uh, Sexual exploits Both legal and illegally On that YouTube channel And you get to hear Snippets of my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years On the YouTube channel They uh, They break it down Where they just have Clips of me reading in audiobook f- uh, fashion Without having uh, to listen to the entire program So you can check out the YouTube channel Now On to Saturday night's action That was broadcast on Showtime You guys know how I've been lauding, uh Frank the Ghost Martin Great up and coming Lightweight contender he reminds me so much of a young Mark Two Sharp Johnson, sort of, sort of a hybrid between Mark Two Sharp Johnson and Stevie Little but Bad Johnston, two great soft paws who used movement, defense to combinations. I'm going to lean more towards Mark because Frank is now becoming a bigger puncher. Stevie Little but Bad Johnston was a stylist who didn't have much of a punch. Frank Johnson had started, I mean, Frank Johnson, I apologize, Ghost. Frank the Ghost Martin had started off as a slick boxer. Now, he has added beautiful punching power to his arsenal, including tremendous body punching. He took on his toughest opponent Saturday night in Jackson Mourinho's. a last-second replacement for Ricardo Nunez. A tougher fight for Frank. Um, for Frank, usually when you get a replacement, it's a, it's a live zombie. Not Jackson marinez, who lost his uh, last two fights. He got robbed against uh, Raleigh, the rapist Romero. Totally beat up Romero, and they, they gave the ra- rapist a gift decision. And then he was pounced on in his last fight against lightweight contender Richard Comey call me a power punching uh, a fighter with a nice right cross but kudos to Mourinho's because for the first six rounds against the Ghost Frank Martin, he fought Martin evenly. I had to fight even after six rounds. He's about three, four inches taller than Frank Martin and so Frank Martin had to adjust and Marinez fought tall and stayed in the pocket, didn't do any movement and He forced Frank to fight So what did Frank Martin do? And I think Frank Martin And I've said it over and over again Is going to be one of the five best fighters Of the next ten years The man has incredible boxing skill Right He adjusted And you didn't see a lot of movement From Frank Martin like you normally did He started going to the body And he beat Mourinho's body Throughout the entire fight Because he saw that against a taller fighter, his right jab and combination um, punches that he usually executes and excels with wasn't working. But the body on a taller fighter is always open. And he kept going to the body, throwing beautiful hooks to the body. And beginning in round seven, began to land more and more combinations because of the body punching. Same thing in round eight. Finally, round nine, because of those beautiful hooks to the body, that left crosser, Martin was working down the pipe. He staggered Mourinho's late in round nine and dropped him with a nice left hook in the corner with 10 seconds left in the round. Mourinho's got up and the bell saved him. Round 10, Martin came out, he worked the body, and then this time it was a Flurry of right hooks that dropped Mariñas. Referee had no choice but to stop the fight. Frank Martin with not only his most difficult fight, but his most impressive victory. And now there's talks of him fighting Raleigh, the rapist Romero. Let's get it on, baby. He's going to give the rapists a beating. Let's get that fight going. I want to see that fight. And eventually, I want to see in 18 to 24 months. Frank Martin fight Tank in what will be a tremendous fight okay Um, I'll save my prediction until they fight each other but that's the fight I want to see if Tank doesn't fight the other elite lightweights he's got a ready made opponent in the Ghost Martin in 18 to 24 months and now on to the semi final fight of the card Brandon Figueroa Going up against Carlos Castro in a featherweight uh in a featherweight contender fight. Carlos Castro was a good fighter. Uh, he's just got a lot of bad luck. But he gave Brandon Figueroa hell. And why? Brandon Figueroa has become more and more like his older brother Omar. Brandon showed so much uh talent early in his career. He's still got a lot of talent, but he doesn't give a damn about defense anymore. It's now trying to outpunch you, trying trying to outland you. But he gets hit far too often, like in his last fight against Steve Stephen Fulton. He lost that fight because he couldn't stop Fulton from banging his body and landing combinations. Yeah, Figuero got his off, but he could not stop Fulton from landing his shots. In this fight, Castro hit him too many times. Yes, Figueroa went to the body well and dropped um, Castro in the third round with beautiful shots to the body. Yes, I agree. But then, after Castro survived the third round, rounds four and five, Castro dominated because he hit Figueroa at will. And in the sixth round, he was dominating the sixth round until he got caught with a beautiful right cross, staggered, and then um, Figueroa threw a whole bunch of punches. While I don't agree with the stoppage, the referee stopped the fight. Castro up against the ropes getting mauled. I don't believe Castro was hurt, but he was not defending himself. So, while I don't think it was a the the stoppage should have should have been warranted there. I blame that on Castro, and he blew an opportunity because he was giving Figueroa hell. Figueroa at featherweight? I don't know, but i tell you one thing. It'll be an incredible fight between him and the guy who won the main event, and that's Ray Vargas. Ray Vargas beat Mark Masayo. Via 12-round, I don't know why this was a split decision. This was not a hard fight to score except for the first two rounds. Mark Maxayo defending his WBC criminal cartel. Sanctioning by the alphabet title at featherweight against Ray Vargas. First two rounds could have gone either way. Very tough to score. But from rounds three to eight, it was all Vargas. Because Moxayo has no chance defense whatsoever. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Moxello was way behind and needed a one-punch knockout to beat Julio Seja and then barely beat a one-armed Gary Russell to win the title. You guys are over-hyping Moxello. Marce- he's not that good. He's a solid fighter who's had good luck and he's being propped up because Manny Pacquiao's his promoter? And Freddie Roach is his trainer. Well, once again, Freddie Roach, you were out-trained by the legendary Nacho Beristain, one of the five greatest trainers of all time, right? He put the perfect pl- uh, pro- uh, program in for Vargas to dominate because from rounds three to eight, Vargas, who's much taller than Maxeo, stayed outside and counted Moxeo at will with left jabs, hooks off the jabs, and right crosses, while Maxeo. Recklessly tried to go inside and he tried to knock out Vargas with one shot He abandoned his jab and he was just getting hit at will And Vargas was teeing off on him Moxeo's lucky that Vargas does not have great punching power Vargas hasn't knocked anybody out in six years Vargas' first eight rounds was just drilling Moxayo. Then in the ninth round, Moxello, Freddie Roach told him Look, you, you gotta step it up and late in the round, Moxell staggers and drops. Vargas with a beautiful right cross. And Vargas survived the round. In ninth round, Vargas was shaky. And this was Moxell's opportunity to finish off Vargas because Vargas was, was hurt the entire ninth round. What did Moxell do? Headhunt. He didn't go to the body. Had he gone to the body, Against Vargas, like he failed to do against Russell, he would have stopped Vargas in the ninth round. No, he head hunts. He landed a nice right hand again that hurt uh, Vargas in the ninth round, but he couldn't finish the job. Once Vargas got his legs back on, on under him, ninth and tenth round I gave to Moxeo. Ninth round because he knocked down Vargas. Tenth round because Vargas was still on shaky leg, even though. He outworked Maxeo. He was hurt by the more significant punches in that round. Rounds 11 and round 12 was all Vargas as he hit um, Maxeo at will. Maxeo was now exhausted from trying to go after the one-punch knockout. And it was all Vargas as he landed combination after combination sweeps the last two rounds on all three scorecards, wins by split decision. I don't know what the one judge was looking at scoring the fight for Moxell because there's no way in the world Moxell won six rounds in that fight. At the most, he won four rounds in which what two judges gave him. I gave him two rounds, but then again, you could have given him four because the first two rounds could have gone either way. So kudos to the two judges that that scored the fight correctly, and the one judge should be suspended because there's no way in hell that uh, Maxell won six rounds. And Maxell, very very polite and gentlemanly, very classy the, at the post fight uh, interview. He said that Vargas was the better man tonight. He knew, he knew, and um, kudos to him because. Nine times out of ten, on a split decision loss, when you were lucky to get one judge to 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 rule in your favor. Ah man, I don't know, I don't know what he was looking at. I wanted to fight. Yeah, we heard we've heard Adrian Broner and Um Teo Lopez do that bullshit in the past. Anyway, congratulations to Vargas. Vargas versus Figueroa would be a very entertaining fight. Vargas versus Leo Santa Cruz will be a very entertaining fight Those are two fights readily made For Vargas As he's under the PBC umbrella Like those other two fighters Now Later on in the program I will be doing An answer questions uh, Question and answer session Like I did last week And talk about the, the Ioka and Yetis fight that is happening Tuesday morning. I'm recording this Sunday morning. So, ladies and gentlemen, I will uh, come back later on in the program. You won't know that I'm recording this on two different days, but I'm going to do my 32nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years pro- uh, profile right now, and then I will come back. With the question and answer session And then I will come back With my take on the Ioka Nietes fight Now On to My 32nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years The Professor Azuma Nelson From the first time I saw Azuma Nelson The night my father took me to see his American debut At Madison Square Garden Against the legendary Mexican Salvador Sanchez On July 21st, 1982 I knew he was destined for greatness. It was one of the few times in boxing history that a fighter won despite losing. For the next 16 years, Nelson accomplished more than any other Ghanaian or African fighter in the history of boxing, culminating in the professor being the 32nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Not only was Nelson a complete unknown going into his fight against Sanchez, he only had 13 career fights. I told my father this guy had no business being in the ring with an experienced great like Sanchez. By the way, I was 14 years old at the time, feeling myself, and my father had to uh, correct me. And I'll I'll, I'll tell you why, as I read. Although at 24, Nelson was a year older than Sanchez, his 13 fights paled in comparison to the legendary Mexican's 45 fights. Sanchez was also making the ninth defense of his WBC featherweight title. I was expecting a short main event. My father explained to me that every African he ever saw fight, Cornelius Bose Edwards, Dick Tiger, Ayub Kalouli, etc. were warriors who always came to fight. As great as Sanchez was, my father stated that Nelson had one advantage, which was that Sanchez didn't know what type of fighter he was facing. Nelson knew exactly what kind of fighter he was facing in Sanchez. This turned out to be prophetic as Nelson gave Sanchez the toughest fight of his career before finally succumbing to the champion's will in the 15th and final round. When Sanchez tragically died three weeks later, my father predicted that Nelson would be the next dominant 126-pound world champion. It would take him over two years to get another shot at the title. Despite dealing with the unknown, Sanchez dominated the first three rounds by staying outside and landing several crisp combinations. Late in the third round, Sanchez stunned Nelson with a right cross right down the middle. Nelson, despite losing the first three rounds, kept coming and landed some of his own hard right crosses. Rounds four and five saw Nelson finally cut off the ring and lure Sanchez into a slugfest. Nelson landed several cracking shots to the head and body Sanchez landed several shots of his own But was unable to keep the relentless African off of him When the fifth round ended My father and I both came to the conclusion That Nelson was indeed the real deal While biding his time Nelson would win his next six fights, five by knockout, before finally getting his next title shot, this time on December 8th, 1984, against Puerto Rican legend Wilfredo Gomez in Gomez's backyard of San Juan, Puerto Rico. The fight was televised in syndication back in the United States. My father and I watched this fight and you that Gomez, one of my father's all-time favorite fighters and fellow Puerto Rican, was too shop worn to beat the 26-year-old buzzsaw from Ghana. Nelson systematically broke down Gomez before finally putting him away in the 11th round and claiming the WBC featherweight title. My father and I, even though we love Gomez, were pleased with the result because we knew from the night he fought Sanchez that, Azuma's, that Azuma was going to be a special fighter. The victory over Gomez would be just the beginning. Nelson's toughest competition as 126-pound champion was Marcos Villasana. Villasana gave everyone hell back then as he was a power-punching, iron-chin Mexican with tremendous intestinal fortitude. Nelson won two hard-earned decisions over Villasana while bulldozing the other four men he defended his title against during his three-year title run. Finally, on February 29th, 1988, Nelson moved up to 130 pounds to fight for the title the legendary Julio Cesar Chavez had recently vacated. After defeating Mario Martinez on February 29th, 1988 to win the vacant WBC super featherweight title, Nelson successfully defended his title 10 times over a 10-year period. Along the way, he fought not- notable contenders such as Gabriel Ruel- Ruel- Ruelez. Calvin Grove, a rematch with Martinez, Jesse Jesse, Jesse James Leha, and Jeff Fennick. Missing from that list was a potential unification title fight against IBF champ Brian Mitchell. Nelson refused to fight Mitchell because of Mitchell being from South Africa. Nelson was the pride and joy of Aquagana and felt it was his obligation not to give an Mitchell an opportunity at unification because of South Africa's immoral apartheid regi- regime. Nelson didn't want to, as he saw it spit in the face of his oppressed black South Africans by rewarding Mitchell with a big money fight. Despite, despite the fact that Mitchell never embraced South Africa's ruling class policies. It was another case of real life politics ruining what would have been a classic encounter between not only two of the greatest super featherweights of all time, but possibly the two greatest African boxers of all time as well. Unable to secure a fight with Mitchell, Nelson moved up to 135 to challenge Pernell Whitaker for his world lightweight title in an attempt to become a three division champion. Sweet Pea's defense and speed was a puzzle that the professor could never solve as Whitaker completely baffled the and Icon in winning an easy decision. With Nelson's goal of becoming a three-division champion thwarted, he went back down on 130. On June 28, 1991, Nelson defended his 130-pound crown for the sixth time against three-division champion and undefeated Australian Jeff Fennec. At the time, Nelson was a, a month shy of his 33rd birthday, and Fennec had just turned 27. Many boxing el- experts felt Nelson was too strong and cagey for the aggressive Aussie. My father and I begged to differ. We had seen Fennec rip through each of his opponents, and his aggression and speed were at a level Nelson wasn't accustomed to. Also, Fennec at five foot seven, was actually 2 inches taller than the Ghanaian Great. On that evening, Fennec proved us right as he bullied, outmaneuvered, and outworked Nelson the entire fight. I had Fennec easily winning nine of the 12 rounds and expected him to easily win the decision and capture his fourth world title. Unfortunately, Fennec was robbed as the fight was called a draw. To this day, it is one of the five worst decisions I've seen in the history of boxing. Nelson, knowing that the vast majority of the boxing world knew he got away with a gift, consented, consented to a rematch, this time in Fennec's hometown. On March 1st, 1992, in front of over 30,000 fans in Melbourne, Australia, Nelson accomplished what my father and I felt was impossible. He thoroughly outboxed and outclassed the legendary Australian. Nelson, in his finest performance, Put on a counter punching and body punching clinic. He dazzled Fennec with in and out movement and used Fennec's aggression against him with pinpoint counter punching. Nelson won every minute of every round as he completely, completely lived up to his professor Monica Finally, in the eighth round, the referee put an end to the one sided beating. Just like he did almost ten years earlier against Sanchez in his American debut. Nelson made my father and I a believer That was the night Nelson proved He was the greatest fighter ever to come out Of the great continent of Africa After two more successful defenses of his super lightweight title Nelson engaged in the first of four fights With Jesse James Leha. The 28-year-old Leha was a poor man's fennec A very aggressive power Who didn't possess the Aussie's flair and speed However, just like the first fennec fight Nelson was thoroughly outclassed by the Texas native and was once again awarded with a gift draw Eight months later, in an immediate rematch, Nelson was once again outfought, this time officially defeated by the younger challenger Nelson's six-year reign at 130 was over Nelson briefly retired before making a comeback 18 months later at the age of 37 on December 1st, 1995, the 37-year-old Nelson battled WBC 130-pound champion Gabrielle Roller. It, Roller. It, roll it. Ruelas I'm a, I am apologize Gabrielle Gabrielle Ruelas Despite defeating Ruellas A few years back Nelson came in a huge underdog To the much younger and taller champion Ruelas was coming off a tragic victory Over Jimmy Garcia Garcia took such a severe beating That he su- suffered brain damage And died 13 days after the fight Nelson caught Ruelas At the right time R- Ruelas seemed affected by psychologically by the garcia fight as soon as round one commenced nelson jumped on gabrielle and batted the champion gabrielle was never in the fight causing a referee to stop the fight in the fifth round nelson regained his crown and gabrielle would never be the same again due to the beating nelson administered and his psyche due to the garcia tragedy in his very first defense of his newly regained world title Nelson sought to avenge his defeat to Leha in a, po- in a performance similar to his title-winning effort against Gabrielle, Nelson once again turned back the clock in a convincing six-round stop at Leha. Here was a man six weeks shy of his 38th birthday, putting on one of the greatest performances of his storied career. Unfortunately, it would be the final win of his career. In his very next fight, on March 22, 1997, Nelson lost a very tough split decision to Gennaro Hernandez. Then a year later, and eight days before his 40th birthday, Nelson fought listless in losing a 12-round decision in the fourth and rubber match against his greatest rival, Leha. He would make a questionable comeback 10 years later, losing a decision to Fennec in a battle of the senile legends. Azuma Nelson set a standard for fighters from Ghana That despite excellent fighters like Ike Korte and Richard Kome Who also were born in Ghana Has yet to be replicated Like several great champions Nelson traveled the world in defending his title And convincingly defeated the hometown challenges. The Gomez and second Fennec fight being the greatest examples Nelson was the most versatile super featherweight In the history of the underrated division He also had one of the most underrated featherweight title reigns in boxing history. The professor would end his illustrious career with a record of 39 wins, 6 losses, 2 draws with 28 KOs, and more than worthy of being the 32nd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to my question and answer session. Okay, I'm back with the question and answer session And the first two questions Oh, by the way, if you want to ask me questions that I will answer on the podcast You could either email me, robertsilver57 at hotmail.com You can DM me on Twitter, robertsilver5768 Or you can go to the Twitter hashtag, askrobsilver and I will gladly answer your questions and the first two questions are from Bilal and Bilal asked, "The Who are my top 10 Caribbean fighters of all time and when he means Caribbean? He explained this to me. He's talking about all the Caribbean islands. He's not talking about North America or South America. He's talking Puerto Rico the Dominican Republic Cuba Trinidad, uh, what you call it, uh, Barbados, the Bahamas, the Virgin Islands, Jamaica, etc. Now, out of all those islands, and this is very, very, uh, there have been a lot of great fighters to come out of all those uh, islands and countries, so I'm not going to give you a top 10 By ranking, I'm just going to give you 10 great fighters that I believe belong on that top 10 list in no particular order, except one guy I will put at number one. And the the guy that I'll put at number one, who I felt was the greatest out of all of them, is the greatest fighter ever to come out of Jamaica, the body snatcher, Mike McCollum. He's my number one. Then you have the great Puerto Rican fighters that could go two or three. In Felix Tito Trinidad and Refredo Gomez, you have the great fighter from the Virgin Islands, the greatest fighter that come out of Virgin Islands, and Emil Griffith. You've got Cuban legends, Kid Gavilan, uh, Kid Chocolate, that um, can easily be on that list. And that's five and six. So I got four other fighters. Who would I put? Because I don't want to. Being that I'm a Black Puerto Rican, I don't want to. Be biased and put a bunch of Puerto Ricans on that list But you can make an argument For a Wilfred Benitez And a Carlos Ortiz And I'm not going to continue there They'll fill out 7 and 8 I want to Give uh, Some other fighters some love In those Let me see who would who could fill out 9 and 10 There are no Dominicans in history of boxing That belong in my top 10 and I apologize to you Bilal Bilal being a black Dominican Bilal I wouldn't put any of the Dominican fighters from the past present or future in my top 10 and let's go to uh, if we if we want to continue with Cubans oh my bad Jose Napolis Jose Napolis definitely in my top 10 and we got to get we got to get one more one more now um Everybody knows I love uh, Trini women. My beautiful, beautiful baby is from, Trin- uh, from Trinidad, my, my, the love of my life. And there have been some good Trinidad fighters, Trinadian fighters, great Trini fighters. There have been some very good Trini fighters, but none worthy of being in my top ten. I'm not counting uh, Guyana Because Guyana is actually Not an island but a country Inside South America But it's because of its culture Considered part of the West Indies But no I'm not putting Anybody from Guyana In my top 10 so I, I need to fill out One more spot What island am I missing Santa D- Dominican Republic no Haitian Who's the greatest Haitian fighter of all time Adonis Stevenson, but is he good enough to make my top ten? I don't believe so. I don't want to throw another Puerto Rican in there. It's a it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. You know what? Let me just throw Adonis Stevenson in there. I mean, there. I mean, you could make an argument that Miguel Cotto, Joel Casamayor, uh. What's my brother's name That recently had an accident That ended his career oh, man Talk about Talk about Oh Guillermo Dao.'s Been a lot of great Cuban fighters Throughout the years But I'll I'll put a Haitian in And this will <laughs> This will help Bilal Because Bilal Loves Haitian fighters Because Bilal Recognizes Haitians And the Dominicans As all one big family Since they share The same island so there you go uh, Bilal, I finally answered all the questions You sent me Now No, I'm sorry Bilal, I got one more question for you My bad, my bad Bilal ask. other than B- Buster Douglas What are some of the greatest upsets Recorded by an unknown fighter Over a great fighter Well, I just spoke about uh, Jose Napolis One of the greatest upsets in boxing history was Billy Backus stopping him in the fourth round back in 1970. Billy Backus, an unknown fighter out out of the Syracuse area in upstate New York, shocked the Polis and shocked the boxing world by winning the welterweight title, albeit for a brief time, as the Polis beat the hell out of him in a rematch a few months later. Then you have, of course, Esteban de Jesus beating Roberto Duran in their first fight, November of 1972, a fight that I covered on the on the Patreon bonus uh, podcast that for five dollars a month, you could hear my entire breakdown of that fight. November of 1972. Esther Esteban de Jesus at the time was an unknown Puerto Rican. And Roberto Duran was one of the hottest fighters in the world, having won the title only five months previous against Ken Buchanan in Madison Square Garden. Of course, there was Ken Norton's shocking upset of Muhammad Ali in 1973. Ken Norton at the time was an unknown heavyweight. Even Howard Cosell, who was... Huge boxing fan and followed the sport and especially the heavyweight division Touched briefly on his earlier fights, but really didn't go into A huge detail as he was announcing that fight Um, Then you have uh, Lloyd Hunnigan's six-round stoppage of Donald Curry Another fight that I covered on the Patreon podcast Now Huntington was very well known in Great Britain in the UK, but in America, no one knew about him. No one at all knew about Lloyd Huntington unless you was a you were a hardcore boxing fan. The casual fan knew of Curry because at the at that point in time, Curry was considered one of the two best fighters in the world alongside marvelous Marvin Hagler. So that answers. Your quest, your questions, Bilal. Once again, man, I appreciate it. Bilal's been listening to me on several of my platforms for several, several years, several years, several years. And a shout out to the to uh, to the brother Bilal. Now, God damn, Bilal, got another question. My bad, Bilal. Let me answer this question. Bilal asked about John the Beast Mugabe and. Some of his greatest fights Well To be honest with you The fight that you posted On Twitter His fight against uh, James Hard Hard Rock Green that, That would be one of them But Mugabe was a one dimensional Power puncher John Mugabe Was a lot like James Kirkland Where he had Incredible punching power But that was it he wasn't a great boxer. He was a great puncher. He could be beaten by a great boxer. Now, um, Hard Rock Green was one of his biggest and greatest wins. Frank the Animal Fletcher. But these guys were shop one contenders. These guys had absolutely no shot at beating the Beast. But I give the Beast credit. When he fought Marvelous Marvin Hagler in March of 1986, he gave Hagler hell. It was because of Hagler's incredible chin in which allowed Hagler to overcome Mugabe's biggest shots. Because Mugabe landed some monster rights and lefts in that fight against Hagler. But Hagler wore down Mugabe, stopped him. And you could make a case that Mugabe was never the same after that fight against Hagler because he took such a ferocious beating in trying to knock out Hagler. Great fight. Great fight. The last win of Hagler's career as he would lose his title 13 months later to Sugar Ray Leonard and never fight again. But in Mugabe's very next fight, he fought Dwayne Thomas for the vacant WBC a super welterweight title that Thomas Hearns had vacated and Dwayne Thomas beat the holy hell out of John the Beast Mugabe Stopping him in the third round Now Mugabe would eventually win a world title when he uh, Three years later on July 8th 1989 Would knock out Rene Jacot. Jaco Jaco Rene Jacquot in the first round But that was more of Jaquot breaking his leg while throwing a punch awkwardly. He snapped his tibula in two and couldn't continue. Mugabe was the world, was finally world champion due to a freak accident. In his very first defense on March 31st, 1990, Mugabe came back down to life, shown that he was done, has terrible Terry Norris, began a seven-year run as the best junior middleweight in the world by knocking out John the Beast Mugabe in the very first round. And Mugabe was never the same after that. He would get knocked out in the first round a year later by Gerald McClellan. And for all intents and purposes, he was done until finally retiring in 1999 at the age of 39. Now, Thank you, Bilal, for that question. On to other questions from the hashtag AskRobSilva. Okay, let me go down. And I think I have one more question. Here's from Will Davis. And Will asks, let me ask you this. What did you think when Floyd had the fight when the dude was apologizing and he knocked him out? In your opinion, a Clean or dirty? I go back and forth all the time on it. I appreciate your boxing opinion and it might give me some clarity. That was the fight against Victor Ortiz, where Victor Ortiz headbutted Floyd. Referee Joe Cortez stopped the fight, took a point away from Ortiz for a blatant, blatant foul. He was headbutting Floyd out of frustration because Floyd was dominating. And then um, Ortiz ignorantly tried to uh, shake hands with Floyd when Cortez yelled for the fight to continue. And Floyd still pissed off because Ortiz tried to headbutt him on purpose, landed a beautiful combination of as Ortiz had his guard down because he was looking to shake floyd's hands touch gloves when that was that was uncalled for, and Floyd put Ortiz to sleep, ended the fight. Victor Ortiz got what he fucking deserved right He had no first of all he had no business fighting Floyd. People actually thought Ortiz had a shot at beating Floyd Ortiz was a one dimensional fighter, a brawler. His skill set was limited. A guy like that never would ever have a shot against Floyd. And Floyd was schooling him until, out of frustration, Ortiz headbutted Floyd. Cortez deducts a point. Cortez t- says, Continue. And Ortiz tries to touch, t- tries to, you know, because he knew he was wrong. Uh, t- Tried to touch, glove, shake hands again with Floyd. And Floyd dropped his ass goodnight Ortiz, did us all a favor because it would have been a long-standing, one-sided mastery of Floyd like he always did back then throughout his entire career. But instead, he put Ortiz and the fans out of their misery by putting that one-dimensional bum out of his uh, misery. And Ortiz would never amount to anything for the rest of his career. And that an- that, um, ends the answer and question, the question and answer session, I will will be back with my synopsis of the Ioka-Nietes fight. Just finished watching what was a tremendous tactical battle between two of the greatest fighters ever to fight below 118 pounds, Kazuto Ayoka defending his WBO super flyweight title against former WBO super flyweight uh, champion and the man who beat him in their first fight One of the greatest fighters ever to come out the country of the Philippines Donnie Nietes their first fight was a very strategic battle in which Nietes barely won in a fight that could have gone either way this time it was a much more dominant effort by Ioka. Ioka, smartly, intelligently, in a game of chess, went to Nietes' body over and over again. The first six rounds, I had Ioka winning four of the first six rounds. Because he was pressing Nietes And Nietes is one of the best defensive fighters of this generation of the In the 21st century I would put Nietes third As far as greatest defensive fighters of this century Only Floyd and Shakur Stevenson I've seen were definitively, definitively better defensively Than the great Don Nietes And this is only his second loss At the age of 40, it's time, I believe, for Nietzsche to retire. But before I go into that, let me continue uh, my analysis of this tremendous strategic battle. This was boxing at a very high level. This wasn't one of those great fights in which two guys are going after each other without without any defense applied. Both men were trying their darndest to outpoint the other one. By fighting defensively And both men were fighting behind that jab Nietes' jab was landed first six rounds But so was Ioka Ioka was the aggressor But everything was off that jab Everything was off that jab And he was jabbing with Nietes But instead of trying to hit Nietes' head Nietes has incredible head movement His head moves like a bobblehead He was Digging devastating hooks to the body. And it was wearing down Nietes. But you wouldn't have known. By the way Nietes fought in round 7 and 9. Landing beautiful combinations. Landing some great right crosses. While I, And I gave Nietes round 7 and 9. And I gave Ioka round 8. So after 9 rounds on my scorecard. I had Ioka only winning by 1 85 Then the turning point. Round 10. Ioka, who was going to the body all fight long, landed a beautiful left hook right cross combination. Because the old saying goes, a saying that my father used to always tell me, and a, 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 a saying that he learned and this saying is from the early 1900s kill the head and the body will follow. He landed a beautiful left hook right cross combination in the 10th round that opened up a huge gash above the left eye of Nietes in the ten, and this was in the 10th round and rounds 10 11 and 12 it was all Ioka as he was attacking not only the body but he was attacking the cut eye and he was landing at will I had never seen Nietes in his entire career get hit as much as he did in those last three rounds ioka sweeps those three rounds on my scorecard i had it 116 112 ioka ioka wins the rematch retains his title and now what's next fight ioka he's got several options because right now the super flyweight division is one of the hottest divisions in boxing the 115 pound division is right up there with the welterweights and the super welterweights and the lightweights as the most exciting division in boxing. Super flyweight division now. You have Ioka. You have the brothers Joshua Franco and Bam Rodriguez. You have Juan Francisco Estrada. And you've got the great Chocolate Chocolatito, Roman Gonzalez. So you've got five strong fighters for in great matchups for all except one Joshua Frank and Bam Rodriguez are, are brothers they're, they're biological brothers They're not fighting each other But those guys could fight any of the other three fighters I would love to see it And Ioka would be a heavy underdog against all those fighters But he'd be alive underdog in my book Because the man is a tremendous boxer puncher Everything's done off that jab. He's a great body puncher. For those who want to learn how to throw right, uh, tr- uh, correct body punches. For those out there who are up and coming amateur boxers that listen to this program, I know I have a few amateur boxers out there that that listen to this program. Watch the way Ioka worked Nieto's body. It was a master class in body punching. He eventually wore Nieto's down. And he deservedly won this fight. Now, one judge gave him all 12 rounds. Hell fucking no. He didn't win all 12 rounds. He wasn't that dominant. The fight was very, very close for the first nine rounds. Because there were several rounds that could have gone either way. He gave every round to uh, Ioka. What about round seven and nine when Nietes was painting him with beautiful right crosses off that jab? Nah, I don't see it. Anyway, tremendous victory. For Kazuto Kazuto Ioka It's time For him to step up And now fight Now, now that he beat The guy who beat him In his in, in his second loss For this title And now That's out the way It's time for Ioka To face One of the other Four major Super flyweights And as far as Donnie Nietes goes Historically I've got him Probably Number four or three you can make an argument for three or four of the greatest filipino fighters of all time and real quick i'll run down my top four i've got either nietz donnie nietz or flash and Lordi at four or three whoever you want to flip a coin number two is the filipino flash no needle air and number one of course recently retired manny pacquiao those are my four greatest filipino fighters nietz in my opinion should be a first ballot international boxing hall of famer we will see because uh they keep making mistakes as far as who they've been inducting lately we will see we will see Donnie Nietzsche has had a great career won titles at 105 108 112 and 115 ioka has won titles at 105 108 112 and 115 so this was a battle of multi-division champions fighting each other and what gave ioka the edge was at 33, he was 7 years younger than Nietes who's now 40 and should retire He should never fight again He fought a great fight considering his age and considering the opposition Go out on your shield baby, retire Donnie Nietes I don't want to see you wind up like other fighters And while you're at it, tell your compatriot Filipino Flash No need a donate to retire also There's nothing left for either of you great Filipino men to prove you guys have put in incredible work incredible careers and this has been a long podcast i will talk to you great people next week once again if you want if you have any questions hashtag ask rob silver on twitter until next week be blessed and be a blessing